Welcome to the Trip Hacks DC podcast. Discover the best tips, tricks, and travel hacks for your visit to the nation's capital. And now, here's Rob. Hello, and thank you for tuning in. If you want to check out any show notes from this episode, listen to other episodes, or learn about Trip Hacks DC guided tours, you can do all of that over at TripHacksDC.com. If you're new to this podcast, or Trip Hacks DC in general, hello! My name is Rob. I'm a tour guide, and I founded Trip Hacks DC back in 2017. My goal is to give you my best tips, tricks, and travel hacks so you can have the best possible trip when you come here to Washington, D.C. Today is the first day of 2023. It's a new year, and as always, in some ways, a fresh start. The last few years have been, let's say, volatile for tourism. I don't think that comes as a surprise to anyone. One year ago today, I published a podcast episode about what Washington, D.C. tourism was like in 2021. And the Cliff Notes version of that is that tourism started to come back in 2021, but Triphex DC tour business was still down pretty substantially compared to the last pre-COVID year in 2019. So the question going into 2023 is, is tourism still struggling? And what do you need to know about the past few years and how DC has changed if you're planning to come here to visit in the future? In order to get to what I think 2023 is going to be like, I think we need to refresh a bit about what happened in 2022, because it's an important context for what lies ahead. I tend to not be the kind of person who likes predictions because no one can predict the future. If I could, I wouldn't be in this line of work. But on the other hand, as a small business owner, I have to predict to some extent because it's impossible to just fly blind. But let's back up for a second and talk about 2022. I am happy to report that TripHacks DC tour business in 2022 was higher than it had ever been. It was higher than even in 2019, which I had been using as a baseline for the past several years. So for me, that's great. But please hold your congratulations because it doesn't mean the things are back to the way they used to be, not even close. If you came to DC in 2022 and it wasn't your first time, you may have noticed some things from a previous trip were gone or were different. That's just the reality we're living in. Most people think about tourism, I think, as family tourism. The vacation that you and your family takes to a destination for the sole purpose of having fun. But if you look at how most tourism boards define tourism, it's a lot more than that. They think of tourism as everyone who travels to the destination, stays in a hotel, eats at local restaurants. The purpose of the trip does not matter. So yes, this obviously includes your family vacations, but it also includes business travel, conferences and conventions, and yes, even the infamous 8th grade field trips. In 2022, family tourism in D.C. came back strong. A big part of this was the quote-unquote revenge travel that happened mostly in the early summer. I noticed this particularly in June. Probably about half the tours I led in June had guests that said something to the effect of, oh yeah, this was our 2020 trip right here. The trip they had planned to do the year COVID started and that they had just kept delaying and delaying and delaying and they finally took it. June was an especially strong month. I sold out private tours faster than I think I have ever sold out private tours before, and the same was true for July to some extent. 
But by August, I think the revenge travel had mostly run its course. All of those long-delayed trips happened, and people moved on to thinking and planning for the next trip. So that's family tourism. But what about business travel? If you look at the local tourism board and how they allocate their resources, it skews pretty heavily towards this kind of travel, because frankly, this is where the big money is. Attracting mega conferences and conventions means hotels full of people with per diems and corporate credit cards and money to spend. Unlike family tourism, business travel was not fully back in 2022. That's not to say it didn't happen at all, but it seems like it was slower to return. So while that had minimal impact on me, since TripHax DC tours are almost exclusively vacationers, it still means the overall tourism industry was maybe not as strong as my numbers alone would suggest. Now, what about those eighth grade field trips? I get asked about this a lot because people want to come to DC and they want to avoid these groups if possible. And look, I get it. It's hard to navigate tours around these groups, and quite frankly, it's a better experience seeing the sites when they aren't overwhelmed with hundreds of teens who don't really care about the sites or the history. The interesting thing about field trips is that they used to happen in fairly tight seasons. The main field trip season was in the spring, basically towards the end of the school year, and then a secondary field trip season was in the fall, basically at the beginning of the next school year. However, since COVID, it feels like field trip groups are here year-round. And my hunch is that some field trips that got delayed due to COVID got made up whenever they could squeeze it in. I also have a hypothesis that the companies that organize and run field trips struggled with staffing, as many companies did, and could only run as many tours as they had guides and drivers for. So school groups that might have preferred to come at one time of the year came at another because that's what was available. Whatever the reasons, what you need to know is that if you want to avoid field trip groups, basically, you can't anymore. Or at least, I wouldn't be comfortable saying that if you come during this date or this other date, that those groups won't be around. I think they're now pretty much here year-round, and that's a new reality we'll just have to get used to. That said, I think it will always be true that if you come to D.C. in the spring, roughly from mid-March through mid-June, that's when the field trip groups will be the heaviest. Another consequence of the pandemic is that the tour industry has consolidated quite a bit. Some tour companies didn't survive COVID, and they're gone, out of business. Others sold out to bigger tour companies, or merged together. Let's look at the hop-on, hop-off bus tours, for example. I have never liked these tours, for a lot of reasons, but I'll save that for another time. They have their time and their place, sometimes for some people. Before COVID, we had four companies in D.C. operating hop-on, hop-off buses. Now we have two, a 50% consolidation. Just being out and giving my own tours, it feels like the bike tours and the Segway tours that I used to see everywhere all the time are fewer and far between. I don't know if companies closed or consolidated or regardless, there are just fewer choices now. For me, selfishly, this made 2022 a strong year. But for you, the traveler, the consumer, and for the industry as a whole, this is not a great sign. Before COVID, we had a rising tide, lifts all boats type environment, but now it's more of a survival of the fittest type vibe. One thing that was tough about 2022 was navigating Smithsonian's reopening. I love Smithsonian museums. I am so grateful we have them. But 
It was frustrating because they were slow to reopen, which caused a lot of headaches early on in the year. All Smithsonian museums had technically reopened in 2021, but most reopened for only five days per week operation, rather than seven. And it wasn't until this summer that museums returned to full seven-day-per-week operation. And then we had the Air and Space Museum closure. It closed entirely in May and then partially reopened in September, basically wiping out the busiest time of year for tourism, summer break. I know that Smithsonian views themselves as an educational institution and not merely a tourist attraction, but closing May through September was about the worst possible timing, especially as the industry was trying to get some stability back. Other big government tourist sites did come back in 2022. The Capitol Visitor Center reopened, which was a huge deal. White House tours came back. And even though I personally don't think White House tours are especially great, it is good that they came back. And even the Supreme Court, the final branch of government, which stayed closed the longest, reopened to the public at the end of 2022. Actually, on the day I'm recording this, I think the only federal government site that has not reopened is the Bureau of Engraving and Printing. I know this is a popular site for kids, but I don't think we're losing out on too much by not having it back. Another thing that happened during 2022, or didn't happen, I suppose, is people returning to downtown offices. This might not seem relevant for tourism, but it actually is quite important because downtown D.C. has always been a place that depended on a lot of white-collar office workers and a lot of daytime foot traffic to sustain the businesses there, like the shops and restaurants. A lot of hotels are in downtown D.C., and pre-COVID, it was my top recommended place to stay because it was close to a large number of tourist sites and restaurants and other amenities. Since COVID and work from home became common, Downtown D.C. is much less vibrant. It's not desolate, it's not blighted or deserted, but it's not lively either. That matters for visitors, because it means that if you came to D.C. before the pandemic, the area around the hotel where you stayed probably won't feel the same. If you ate at certain restaurants downtown, they may not still be around. I need to be careful here, because I know people have very strong opinions about work from home. Opinions that a tour guide like me won't necessarily appreciate because there is no work from home as a tour guide. There are compelling arguments to be made that work from home is good for companies, for efficiency, for the ability to recruit talent. That said, even if you believe work from home is good for all of these reasons, it is objectively not good for areas like downtown DC. It's just not. Now, it's entirely possible this situation forces cities to rethink everything and a bunch of what are now office buildings downtown become apartment buildings and other housing. 10 years from now, downtown DC might be completely different, in a good way, but that transformation is not going to happen overnight. So it's important to understand that in the meantime, when you visit, things might not be like what you remember. That's actually why, in 2022, I updated my top recommended area to stay from downtown to the wharf. The Wharf is a huge development in Southwest DC along the Washington Channel that opened about five years ago. Locals tend to have very mixed opinions about it, but for visitors, I think it is absolutely great. It's lively, it's close to a lot of tourist sites, it has several hotels at different price points and plenty of places to eat. 2022 was a big year for the Wharf because phase two officially opened, 
which I think makes it even more attractive for visitors. Now, when I say phase two officially opened, it means that a lot of construction equipment is gone, the sidewalks are open, you can walk around, but a lot of businesses are still building out and not quite open yet. Let's talk about restaurants though, because even though 2022 was a pretty good year for Tripex DC tours, I feel like a lot of restaurants struggled. And from what I can gather, this is not a phenomenon specific to DC. It seems like restaurants struggled all across the country, and maybe even all across the world. Not being a restaurateur myself, I don't really have any inside knowledge on what happened, but August was a particularly brutal month in DC, with a number of high-profile closures. The closure that shook people more than any other, I think, was Bad Saint. Pre-pandemic, Bad Saint was an extremely popular Filipino restaurant where people would line up, stand outside for literally hours just for a chance to eat there. It was nationally acclaimed, won a bunch of awards, and then announced all of a sudden they were closing. One thing I will say about any kind of business is that the average customer is really, really bad at understanding what's going on behind the scenes. I say this because every time a restaurant closes, especially a popular one, you will always have a chorus of people who say, I don't understand how this happened. Every time I went, it was packed. But the follow-up question to this is, well, did you always go on Saturday night? Was the restaurant in a high-rent location? Did you ask the owner if they were swimming in debt? This is true for all businesses, but restaurants in particular. People will mentally add up the cost of the food and calculate a profit margin in their head while ignoring every other cost like rent, labor, insurance, interest payments, overhead. I heard one restaurant owner talk about this talk about this in an interview. He said during COVID, some landlords deferred rent while others waived it. So once restaurants started to reopen, some of them were on the hook for their regular monthly rent plus all of their back rent, while other restaurants only had to worry about the current rent. As unsatisfying as that is, it means the reason one place survived and another didn't may just come down to the luck of the draw as to who the landlord is. But anyway, that's a lot of words to say that the dining scene is different now than it was pre-pandemic. And also, like I said, I don't think this is unique to DC, and I am betting that wherever you live and are listening to this podcast from, restaurants are probably struggling for many of the same reasons. Something else we need to talk about, because it's important context, is inflation. How much stuff costs. Again, this is a national, or actually worldwide, phenomenon, but it's impacting D.C. in some unique ways. Washington, D.C. has always been a high-cost-of-living city. When I started tour guiding a decade ago, one of the most common non-tour questions people would ask me is, what's my rent? And then after I told them, they would be absolutely shocked. I don't get that question quite so much anymore. And when I do give the answer, people aren't quite so shocked anymore. When I started tour guiding, it felt like you had your expensive cities, New York, San Francisco, DC, and then you kind of had everywhere else. Well, over the years, it feels like we've stayed kind of flat, but other places have really caught up. People visiting from Los Angeles, Seattle, Denver, even places like Austin and Nashville, they're not quite so shocked by what my rent is anymore. But the thing that makes DC really unique when it comes to inflation and cost of visiting is that so many things here are free, that the higher prices get everywhere, the better relative value DC is. Personally, I was lucky enough to take a few trips in 2022 after a long hiatus. I went to New York City 
and northern Michigan for vacation, and I went to Las Vegas for a big tourism conference. These are three very different places, but one thing they all had in common was that none of them felt cheap compared to D.C. In fact, in my own travels, I am almost never sticker-shocked, because D.C. is a high-cost city. But I definitely got sticker-shocked when I went to Las Vegas this year. Believe it or not, I actually quite liked visiting Las Vegas pre-pandemic. In those days, there was kind of an unwritten agreement that casinos make all of their money from gambling, so if you come to Vegas and you didn't gamble, you could stay at really nice hotels for relatively little money. You could get two-for-one show tickets if you came on weekdays instead of weekends. Buffets, while the price had been creeping up for a while, was still a fun and relatively affordable thing to do. So yeah, I was kind of blown away by the price of just about everything in Las Vegas now. The inexpensive hotel rates are gone. The only buffets that reopened were the high-end inexpensive ones, and buying just about anything on the Strip was bananas expensive. It seems like the old unwritten rule that gambling subsidizes everything else is no more. But even my trip to northern Michigan was interesting because a decade ago, Michigan would have been a state where I would have gone and the price of everything would have been so relatively inexpensive, it would have felt like I was living like a king for the week. This year, it felt like every restaurant, every bar, every coffee shop, the price was exactly the same as what I would have paid back home in D.C. A lot of the Michigan locals commented about how prices had been going up a lot in recent years, how the area is in much higher demand than it was a decade ago. So this supports my hypothesis that we've been mostly flat for a while, but everybody else is catching up. Point of all of this is to say, I think D.C., just like New York and San Francisco, used to be a destination that you knew was going to come with a high price tag, but that you paid anyway because it was worth it. Now I feel like you can still get a lot of the same great perks as before, but for a relatively better price. And again, with so much of DC being free, the higher the prices get everywhere else, the better value overall Washington DC becomes. I think this will be a really interesting thing to keep an eye on in 2023. One more thing I think we need to talk about is Metro. Metro was a real whiplash of emotions in 2022. It has been a long time since Metro has run service at full capacity. First, there was COVID. But then, a big problem was that the newest trains, the 7000 series, were taken out of operation in October 2021 and didn't return for many months. Even going into 2023, they're still not all back on the tracks. What this has meant is fewer trains, longer waits, more crowds. Overall, a worse experience. It's been frustrating. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to make excuses for Metro. When Metro is not at its best, the city is not at its best. So it is a little bit of a sigh of relief that the 7,000 series trains are coming back. The other frustrating thing that happened in 2022 was the Yellow Line closure. Metro is rebuilding the Yellow Line Bridge over the Potomac River. And while I completely understand this kind of maintenance is important and necessary, it's also lousy for people who need to travel between that part of Virginia and D.C. The Yellow Line Bridge closure is actually the reason why I didn't recommend folks stay at a hotel in Crystal City or Alexandria at the end of the year. And I still don't recommend it until the bridge reopens in the spring. Yes, it is still possible to travel in and out on the Blue Line, but it's a longer ride. And look, time is money, so I think there are better options. 
Now, on the other end of the emotion spectrum is that a week before Thanksgiving, the Silver Line extension to Dulles Airport finally opened. I cannot tell you what a huge deal this is because it's been delayed so many times for so many years that I actually lost faith that it would ever open. I was able to try it out, not on opening day, but the following day. As luck would have it, I had a flight into Dulles and I took Metro home from the airport. It was a long ride, time-wise, and Reagan National is still the much more convenient airport. But sometimes the flight schedule makes more sense to come into Dulles and it's way easier to get into the city now. It's also extremely cheap. The metro fare into the district is either $6, $3.85, or $2, depending on the time of day and day of week. But even at the most expensive fare, $6, which is what I paid my first time, that is still way less than it would cost to get a cab into town. Metro also got a new general manager in 2022. And while that probably seems really boring and bureaucratic to almost everyone listening, it's a pretty big deal. So far, I've been impressed with the new general manager. He seems much more down-to-earth than the previous guy. He also actually rides Metro himself, something you'd think would be a job requirement but is actually not. So hopefully 2023 is better times ahead for Metro. Okay, and with that, let's go ahead and talk about what I see on the horizon for this upcoming year. Like I said before, I don't really like making predictions and I will probably get some of these wrong, but from where I'm sitting right now in the last week of 2022, here's where it looks things are heading. First, remember the revenge travel that I mentioned earlier? When everyone with a postponed 2020 or 2021 trip all seemed to come to DC at the same time over the summer, I think that phenomenon is over. Either people postponed their trip and they took it, or they wrote it off and moved on to something else. I think that means this upcoming year will be a more typical year in the sense that people are either going to come to DC or they're going to choose another destination, but they're not going to come here because a past trip was postponed. I think this upcoming year will probably normalize as far as seasonality goes. The historically busy months will be busy and the historically slow months will be slow. That wasn't necessarily the case these past few years. To be honest, this is good for me, business-wise, because predicting when people are going to come gives me the ability to staff and price tours accordingly. I also think international travel will pick up a bit more in 2023. I did have some guests from other countries this year, but not a ton. It took until the second half of the year for most countries, including the U.S., to more or less remove any remaining travel restrictions that were still on the books. Now, Washington, D.C. has never been a top destination for international tourists. I have some theories as to why that I will save for another time, but when I say I expect more tourists from other countries in 2023, that doesn't mean I'm expecting a ton, just more than before. The big unknown is China. In the before times, tourists from China was the fastest growing demographic. The local tourism board had an entire staff dedicated on working on tourism from China. There has not been a Chinese tourist in D.C. for nearly three years, and this one seems like a total wild card right now. Turning back to domestic tourism, I think another really big wild card in 2023 will be the economy, specifically the labor market. Right now, a lot of people are focused on whether there will be a recession or whether we're even already in a recession. There are competing definitions of what a recession is, but it's generally accepted that multiple periods of declining GDP or negative economic growth is a recession. Now, 
I was a college graduate during the Great Recession. It sucked. What defined the Great Recession to me and my peers was not economic growth, it was unemployment. Unemployment rose from 4.5% to a peak of 10% during the Great Recession. When it comes to the tourism industry, I think employment is by far the most important variable because if people are out of work, they don't have an income, and they don't know when they're going to have an income, vacation is one of the first things that gets cut. I know there were some high-profile layoffs at tech companies towards the end of 2022, but overall it seems like employment rates are still relatively high, and this is definitely what I'm going to keep the closest eye on. That said, the thing about recessions is that there is always the case to be made that a bad economy is actually good for some types of tourism. For example, people might say, if things get really bad, that tourists will cancel their seven-day Disney Resort vacation and instead go to a regional theme park instead. Bad for Disney, good for the local theme park. Similarly, you could make the case that if the economy goes sour, people will cancel their international European vacations and instead go on a road trip to a destination nearby. Since Washington, D.C. is within driving distance of tens of millions of people, it could theoretically get a boost. I don't really buy into this, because we've had recessions, and Washington, D.C. tourism has not exactly boomed during the last few recessions. So employment is definitely what I'm keeping my eye on this year. When it comes to accommodations, there are actually three hotels in the pipeline for 2023. And what's most interesting to me is that they are all located in the northeast quadrant of the city, the area around the Noma Metro Station and Union Market, which has definitely gotten a lot more attractive to tourists in the past few years. This is an area that I did not include in my original Recommended Areas to Stay guide, because for a long time it was a bit lacking on places to eat and things to do nearby. But I think that's changed, and I am planning on adding it to my guide this year. Another area I think will be even more attractive for visitors is the wharf. Like I said before, phase two of the wharf opened in 2022, but we're still waiting on most of the businesses to actually open. I just saw a headline today that Gordon Ramsay's Hell's Kitchen restaurant could be open as early as this winter. His more affordable-priced fish and chips place already opened. Now, I am personally not a huge fan of celebrity chef restaurants, unless it's a local legend like Jose Andreas, but I think these kinds of places will be a hit with certain kinds of tourists. On the other hand, while there is lots of tourist development happening in these two parts of town, there is relatively little in the pipeline downtown. I think downtown DC will continue to struggle in 2023 if a large chunk of the white collar workforce continues to work from home. I don't know if that's going to be the case, but we're going on almost three years now, and for a lot of people, working from home is just kind of the new normal, and it's kind of hard to break that momentum. For visitors, that means downtown will still be an okay place to stay, as the hotels there haven't gone out of business, so there are still plenty of rooms, and it's an area that's close to most of the major tourist sites, but it's not going to be as lively or vibrant as it was pre-COVID, unless something big changes work from home-wise. Now, let's pivot a bit to talk about what is likely to be the biggest transportation change in 2023. 2022 was a big year for Metro, and 2023 is going to be a big year for the humble bus. The DC Council just passed legislation 
that would make metro buses free to ride starting this summer. It will also make 12 bus routes into 24-hour routes, which might not be that big of a deal for most visitors, but if you're into the nightlife, could be something to look forward to. As far as I can tell from my reading of it, this will apply to metro bus, but not circulator bus. Circulator is the bus that tourists are more likely to ride, and it is possible that Circulator will be made free, but as of right now, that doesn't seem to be the plan. Still, Circulator bus is only $1 per ride, and that is still one of the best values in town. Another thing to look forward to is that in August 2023, we're going to have the 60th anniversary of the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom, which is remembered for a lot of things, Most notably was Martin Luther King giving his famous I Have a Dream speech from the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. I've heard there are going to be some special anniversary exhibits and events on the National Mall, but I don't have too many details about that yet. So make sure you're following DC in all the places so you can find out the details once I do. And one more thing that I am not looking forward to, but is possible, if not likely, in 2023 is a federal government shutdown. Let me say off the bat, I absolutely hate the system that we have that allows Congress to shut down the federal government in the manner that they do. But it's the system we have, so the best we can do is try to anticipate and adjust to the situation. During my tour guiding career, I've experienced three government shutdowns. One in January 2018 that was short and minimally disruptive and two that were much longer and much more disruptive. The first was the shutdown in October 2013. This one lasted for 16 days, a little over two weeks, but was rough because pretty much everything, including all tourism infrastructure, shut down on day one. That included museums, monuments, the Capitol, archives, Library of Congress, anything run by the federal government was shuttered. The other bad one was the shutdown that started in December 2018 and ended in January 2019. This one was 35 days long, an absolute bananas amount of time. And if you remember, what eventually ended it in big part was the TSA and air traffic controllers who had been working without pay for over a month and were awfully close to torpedoing the entire air travel system. Now, during that shutdown, some tourism infrastructure, like Smithsonian, had enough funding to keep some museums open for a little while, but eventually it ran out and they closed all the museums down. Another big consequence of this shutdown is that we got a sad, scaled-down version of the Folklife Festival the following summer, because people couldn't work during the key planning time. If there was any saving grace to this shutdown, for DC tourism, it's that it happened in the middle of winter rather than in the middle of summer. If a 35 long day shutdown had happened in say June or July, we would have been in big trouble. So looking ahead to 2023, Congress just passed a spending bill that funds the government through the end of the fiscal year, which if you don't know, ends on September 30th. So that means we are potentially looking at a showdown for October 1st making this potential shutdown similar to the one we had in 2013, and I'm kind of already dreading it. Without getting too into the weeds of the politics of it, the reason I think we need to be worried about this upcoming October 1st is because, in two days, the 118th Congress will be sworn in, and we will again have divided government. The White House and Senate, controlled by one party, 
and the House of Representatives by the other. But even more than the fact that the government will be divided among the parties is that the majority in the House will be razor thin, and it's looking like the Speaker of the House, whoever that winds up being, is going to be in a very precarious position that could easily turn into chaos. Now, if a government shutdown happens, and if it overlaps with your trip, you can still come to Washington, D.C. and find things to do. You can still salvage it. Washington, D.C. is way more than just the federal government, and a shutdown doesn't have to ruin your trip. But it will disrupt it, for sure, because you can't deny that many of the biggest tourist sites are federal government sites. So if you're planning a trip before October, you should be okay. If you're planning a trip after October 1st, make sure to keep an eye on this so you know exactly what's going on. And that's about it. What I think you need to know about how DC has changed and what lies ahead in 2023. Since I don't have a guest, I'll go ahead and plug Trip Hacks DC. If you liked this episode, there are over 40 other podcast episodes that you can listen to to help plan your trip. I also have hundreds of videos and live walks on YouTube. And of course, when you actually come to DC, I strongly believe the best way to see the sites is on a guided tour. And if you want that to be with me, then you can sign up for one of my private tours. Enjoy your trip. Thanks for listening to the Trip Hacks DC podcast. To see the show notes from today's episode, get additional resources for planning your trip, or to book a Trip Hacks DC guided tour, visit triphacksdc.com.